Welcome to the Absent Father Podcast, a weekly conversation where we discuss the impacts in all areas of our life of growing up with an absent father, how to overcome them, and the superpowers we create along the way. I'm your host, Rodney Miller, executive coach, MBA, and son of an absent father. You can learn more about me and get in touch by visiting www.rodneymuller.com. We got greatness by choice. We got gravity by chance. So today's show, we're talking about pressure, and we're talking about performance. We're talking about uh, one of the words that uh, terrifies me when I think about performance, which is to choke or choke under pressure. And what I want to talk about is, uh, I want to tell you a story about one of the worst days of my life and how that relates. It's actually a story about me playing baseball as a sophomore in high school. I want to talk about how, as uh, people who grew up with an absent or distant father, how it impacts our ability to perform, um, how it impacts our ability to play, and how through practice we can reach our greatness and let go of some of the pressure that we put on ourselves. So today, I want to start off with telling you a story about one of the worst days of my life because I really think it it highlights uh, how we put so much pressure on ourselves to perform. So I was 15 years old. This is uh, 1994, 95. And I was a really good baseball player. Um, I was uh, playing for uh, high school baseball, Belleville West. And I was, uh, it was my sophomore year, so I was about 14 years old. I was young for my age. And I was a really good ball player. So much so that at the beginning of the season, I was the starting shortstop uh, on a really good baseball team. And we were about four games into the season, and it was a Tuesday afternoon, because I, I believe we always had games on Tuesdays, and we were playing uh, you know, one of the local teams. And I was out there at shortstop, and what happened is I fielded a ball, and I kind of booted the ball. Uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with baseball, you know, I, I went to go glove the ball and miss the ball. And that's what you call an error. And making an error is really sucky in baseball. It should have been a routine uh, ground ball, and I get the out, and, you know, we, we go in to end the inning. Uh, no big deal, though. People make errors. Major League Baseball players make errors. It happens to the very best players in the world. Uh but for me, I was a little shaken. You know, I was, I hated making an error. Uh, one batter goes, next ball's hit to me. Uh, I feel this one cleanly, uh, but I overthrow the first baseman. So error number two. And at this point, I'm really, I'm really embarrassed. And I just really, honestly, am hoping that the ball's not hit to me. So, you know, a few more pitches later, uh, standing out there, feeling all alone in the sh- as a shortstop. I can't imagine what a major league baseball player feels like when forty thousand people are watching. A uh, few pitches go by. Another ball hit to me. I charge the ball. It should be an easy play again. Uh, I glove the ball. I bobble it on the way to throw, and I throw the ball to first, but don't get the batter. Error number three. Now, 
to make three errors in an inning um, is basically the worst thing that I could have imagined in that moment. And I was incredibly embarrassed, um, incredibly ashamed, and, and luckily, mercifully, uh, my coach pulled me out of the game. And I remember sitting on the bench after that just being completely demoralized, but not the way that you'd imagine. I wasn't sitting there crying. I wasn't um, angry. I just was feeling incredibly alone and vulnerable. And I, I tell that story because one of the things that I've realized since then is how how much pressure I had begun to put on myself to perform. And suddenly, even a game of baseball became something that I had to do perfectly or I'm not sure what would happen, but I was going to be upset. And so every little element, every little element of performance on the field became uh, hyper-pressurized. And I was putting so much pressure on myself to be perfect that I could no longer play the game. And I really didn't realize this until about, I guess, 15, 16 years later. My wife and I had moved to Mexico uh, for about six months to live on the beach and learn Spanish. And we got the opportunity to play. I still love baseball, still to this day, huge Cardinals fan. And I love playing baseball. It's one of my, my favorite sports and favorite things to play. But I didn't get the opportunity to play much adult baseball. So I hadn't played for about 10 years, but I got the opportunity to play with a local uh, baseball team in Mexico, the Chuberna Tiburones, which are the Chuberna Sharks. And it was amazing. And I was slightly better than some of the players and certainly a bit taller. So that took some of the pressure off. But the other thing that took the pressure off was that they were all about playing. And it was, it was just all about play and having fun. And I realized, even as I stepped out onto that baseball diamond um, that was all about play, there was still a part of me that put pressure on myself to perform. So I was able to notice this pressure on myself to perform and also remember, especially because I was there about 200 yards from the ocean in the middle of Mexico, the only white guy on the team, uh, that this was really about play. I mean, you know, half the team was drinking beers in between innings. And so it really occurred to me this distinction between here I am in Mexico playing and having fun. And of course, I played well because the focus was on playing and not performing. Um, but the distinction between that and that moment when I was 15 years old on that ball diamond in Belleville, Illinois, making three errors in an inning. And it got me thinking about how I do with pressure and where does it come from and how does it impact performance. Now, one of the things that made me really good as a ball player was that I, I worked really, really hard. I ran hard. Um, I practiced hard. I practiced a lot. And I had a little bit of talent. I'm athletic, but uh, 
there was always some kind of limit on being great. And for me, you know, getting to be the starting shortstop on the sophomore team, that was a that was a really big deal. So how does pressure relate to growing up with an absent father? Well, one of the things that I realized early on, and I think that this is true for a lot of people with absent fathers, is that performance becomes a way of belonging. Performance becomes sort of our avenue to get recognized, to get noticed, to get acknowledged or appreciated. And when I say performance, what I mean is that uh, whether it's you know being likable or liked uh, by you know starting early on in school, you know the teacher always loves the the kid that's polite or the kid that uh, put puts his things away or the kid that um, is smart or answers the question or does the homework. Um, when it comes to sports, you know the kid that you know, hits well and fields well, there's all this, there's this attention and acceptance and belonging as well as affection or love that gets passed on based on one's performance. So that's coupled with the sensitivity, any kid, no matter where you come from, you know, you, you, any person, you enjoy acknowledgement and appreciation But as a child of an absent father, you're particularly sensitive to this because you have an absence of this. The the father is the source of affirmation, and by not having one, you're, you're missing that at a deep level. So what happens is performance or how well you perform becomes how much you are loved, how much you belong and really fundamental to your sense of worthiness and belonging. So apply that into life and you start to put a lot of pressure on yourself to perform. You know, playing well in a baseball game isn't just about having fun. It's about fundamentally your worthiness and your belonging. And obviously I wasn't conscious of this, conscious of this at the time, but over time, as I look back, I realized how much pressure I was putting on myself to perform. And when I think about that sophomore baseball team, the coach, uh, it was Coach Meyer, uh, an outstanding coach, former uh, minor league ball player, really played at a high level. But he was one of the first coaches and leaders that I really looked up to. I really uh, cared what he thought. I really respected how he went about coaching and and what kind of person that he was. I probably didn't think about this at the time either, but you know he was the type of man that I hoped would be my father. And baseball was always special to me for whatever reason. Maybe it's because of the field of dreams or the the classic of the father son playing catch. So playing on that team for that coach. I really wanted to perform well. And in my 15-year-old mind, performance and playing well and working hard was the way that this person would approve of me, uh, affirm me, and the way that I would belong. And so bringing myself into a game and being the starting shortstop, which was a big deal, it added this extra level of pressure. And when we add that extra layer of pressure, it makes it 
very hard to perform well or to succeed. I often marvel at how in the heck these pro athletes can be in Game 7 of the World Series and play like it's no big deal. It is absolutely fascinating to me. So one of my hopes in this show and and in bringing this conversation is that people that resonate with that conversation who also marvel, like, how does that shortstop in Game 7 of the World Series uh, with all the pressure on in the last inning, how do they how do they do it? And although we aren't necessarily in Game Seven of the World Series, and we aren't you know having forty five thousand fans screaming at us to get it right, um, we are in everyday situations that uh, we want to perform well at, that we want to show up in our best self, give it our best shot. And there's essentially two things that I want to share that I think have made a difference for me um, and I hope make a difference for you in this area. So at a high level concept, number one is we got to detach our performance and how well we do, and that's in anything in life, how much money we make, what kind of car we drive, um, what our job title is, you know, what we think we have compared to other people. We've got to detach all of that from our worthiness and our value and start to relate to ourselves as being valuable, being worthy, being lovable simply because we breathe, because we exist. Uh, when I think about, I, I often use this example, you know, when we think about children, we don't really evaluate their lovability or worthability based on how well they do or how well they perform. For example, uh, it doesn't matter if a child uh, colors in the lines or makes a perfect picture. They bring you the picture. You say, wow, that is beautiful. Great job. Look at that creativity and play. We don't say, you know, that's okay, but once you get better at this drawing and this creativity, well, then I'll think that you're worthy or worthy of praise or lovable. Another example is, uh, you know, my daughter, as an example, she's, she's a one, and she does basically four things. She sleeps, she eats, she plays, and she poops. And that's it. In my relationship to her, it doesn't matter what she does. It has no relationship to her worthiness or her lovability. So part of our job is to learn to treat ourselves, to relate to ourselves the way that we would most other people in that we are lovable because we breathe. Now, that is way easier said than done. And I hope that this conversation, you giving yourself this space, starts to contribute to that, where you start to see that there's a made-up story about yourself, and there's a new opportunity to start seeing yourself as your gift, as your value, and that it's inherent because you breathe. The second part, and I'm happy to answer 
questions, by the way, about that first part. There's a zillion ways, and I'm sure we'll discuss those as we progress in the podcast, to go from, uh, to quote a recovery uh, phrase, to go from hurting to healing to helping. So the second piece, though, number one is we got to practice, and this is kind of a healing conversation. How do we detach uh, our value, our worthiness, our lovability from what we do or what our performance is. The second part is practice and play and being comfortable with being uncomfortable. So when you put yourself back in that moment, so for example, uh, one of the things I realize about you know that shortstop at Game 7 of the World Series um, is that they are so practiced at fielding a ground ball that it's almost automatic for them. So, for example, if you know I were a professional baseball player and I was on the mound and it came down to my performance at this one task for us to win the game, and that task was brushing my teeth for two minutes, I would have no problem in that scenario because I have a lot of practice at brushing my teeth. And I would invite you to consider that sometimes it's about the level of practice, the preparedness, the comfort in uncomfortable moments. And any major league shortstop that's there at Game 7 of the World Series has an enormous amount of practice at being uncomfortable in those moments. The value of knowing that also is that practice might be the differentiator, not necessarily that it's because you're you're missing uh, you know, affirmation and you put all this pressure on yourself. It may just be that you need more practice. And what you can see then is it's not about that you're uh, crappy or bad or... Uh, suck at something. It's just that, you know, practice helps make you better. Along those same lines, um, it's relearning to play. Um, I remember being on that field in Mexico and it occurring to me that the best, when we talk about the best uh, athlete, we call them the best player which means they're the best at playing. And when you watch uh, the best in the field of whatever the field is, they're great players. They play well. And so one of the things that I remembered is that I need to learn and, and practice playing. Uh, when you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself, when, you, when you're trying to perform really hard at whatever it is, you forget that and you lose sight of the fact that it's play. And play is access to our highest performance. So I'm going to end it here today. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your questions. I'd love to hear your comments. I'd love to hear your thoughts about future episodes and what you'd like to hear. Um, you know, for the early start of this show, we're going to be diving into more and more traits, more and more obstacles, and also some of the superhero 
capabilities that come your way. And as we advance, I'd love to talk to other people who grew up with an absent father. I'd love to hear and share your story. I'd love to hear how you, uh, what you struggled with, what you overcame in your process as well. So again, thank you for listening. I'd love to hear from you, your questions, your comments. You can email me at me, M-E, at rodneymiller.com. That's M-U-E-L-L-E-R. It's in the show notes if you uh, didn't get a chance to write it down. And also, if you'd like to support the podcast and help get this show to people who need to hear it, the best way that you can do that is by rating and reviewing the podcast in iTunes. You can also, of course, share it with your friends. Thank you for listening, and until next time. Head up, heart higher.